Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian Nord. This is episode 114. Yes, my voice is shot right now. Thank goodness, though, I recorded the episode that you are about to hear prior to going out onto the fields and coaching a tournament weekend and losing my voice. So you will not have to listen to this for the next hour. I teamed up with Greg Collins from the SGFC podcast, and we talked about a few different interesting topics that we're looking at going into the Premier League season. I don't really want to say much more right now because you're probably tired of listening to this voice. So, on we go. Episode 114, SGFC Podcast. Enjoy. Greg Collins from the SGFC Pod. You and I are going to break down a few few interesting questions going into this Premier League season. So first, tell us about your podcast. And yourself. And the fact that we're both wearing Chelsea kits. I mean, it's a great accident we're both wearing Chelsea kits. I think it's uh, it's quite apt. But uh, I am Greg, the host of the SGFC football podcast. Uh, it's a weekly podcast I run with my younger brother, Seb. Uh, we're talking, we talk all things Premier League. We try not to take things too seriously. We like to have a laugh. We like to really get on some teams' backs, usually Man United. Um, both been Chelsea supporters for as long as we've you know been alive so you know when Chelsea lose in the last second to a terrible refereeing decision it gets a bit heated and it gets a bit intense but we always do have a have a good time every week um yeah it's great fun well let's pick up on that real quick because as a Chelsea fan as well I was disappointed let's just say in the way it ended I I don't get too angry. For instance, the Kai Havertz foul, I kind of went, all right, whatever. I mean, this this yeah, happens. Yeah, you can like, take those ones. Yeah. Uh, the Richarlison offside, I'm like, eh, yeah, I, I probably should be. But it's mm-hmm. the hair the hair pull that really got me going. So did you see what Mike Dean came out and said about that? I'm, I'm both impressed and disappointed he's come out and said something because it's not like a referee to come out sort of post the game and say, right, I actually messed up. And I'll give him credit for doing it because it's very unlike his character, but it just brings the whole situation back around again of, you know, two UEFA qualified referee or FIFA qualified referees have looked at, you know, one player performing a WWE move on another guy in clear sight multiple times on slow-mo replays. And you've both only now said, we got that wrong, lads, didn't we? It's like there were 40,000 people in that stadium that saw you got it wrong. The Tottenham fans knew you got it wrong. But, I mean, I do commend him for coming out, but it doesn't change the uh, the outcome, does it? Well, no, and it doesn't change the outcome. And it, 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 I think the outcome, hopefully, is for me, is that Mike Dean realizes that he's being prejudiced towards Kukurea because he's jealous of his hair. I mean, that's, to me, clearly why he didn't <laughs> see that as violent conduct. I don't think it is. <laughs> You know, you pull the you pull the back of a guy's shirt and yank him to the floor. You're going to get pulled up for violent conduct. If you're Mike uh-huh. Dean, you've probably never had hair. I mean, I'm assuming he was born God, exactly so. the way he is, the same height, the same build, yeah, just a, a miniature face. version. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just so the one thing I will say though, I have been hearing managers, players, pundits for years say the referee. I mean, the first person I heard this was say was Ferguson. The, asking referees to come out and explain their decisions 
And a lot of people, you know, was like, no, we don't, you need to protect referees from that. That's not necessary. A lot of people would say, well, what would it change anyway to have, you know, a referee come out and say, I made a mistake. Well, we all know. So, you know, go back, crawl back in the hole you came from. Um, but <laughs> it, it seems to me that him coming out and saying this did sort of trigger some people and short circuit some people because all of a sudden there was this, why would we want to hear from the referee narrative? And I'm like, people have been asking for this for a while. Mm. I thought it was refreshing to actually have a, an official come out and say, upon speaking to other, you know, uh, other people around, I've, I realized this was violent conduct. I should have asked the referee to go to the monitor. Maybe mm. just him coming out and saying, yeah, the dialogue that we're having points to the fact that we need to look at this. And I also heard Mark Clattenburg so I don't know if he makes many appearances in the UK, but he he actually no, no, works no. with ESPN. So there's mm -hmm. a, the ESPN FC. It's their sort of uh, daily you know, football review show. He was on there saying one of the issues is that there's nothing in the rules that says that you can't pull hair or that says that hair is violent conduct. Right. So maybe now they will etch that in. I don't know. Well, I mean, this is one of the things that we picked up on in our latest episode and where we were talking about the, the standard of refereeing in England. Um, and Seb has got a saying that he's almost sort of carved in stone is that we have the best league in the world with the worst officiating. And we shouldn't have to have it in the rules that you can't pull someone's hair. I agree. Because, I mean, it, it's common sense. It, I'm sure it doesn't say, like, I'm sure it's, there's nothing against me like, taking a shin pad out and chucking it at someone, but it's common sense. I know not to do that. Yeah. Because we're all adults at the end of the day. Yep. Um, and you know, you, we were talking before we started, you coach your 10 to 12 year olds, and I'm sure you don't even have to tell them don't pull someone's hair. You know, let's play this like the sport it's meant to be. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I thought it was fascinating that he didn't send, uh, the referee to the pitch side monitor because i do i do think you look at that replay I, I, I and again this is why i'm saying the only person i can think of aside from maybe pierre luigi colina to not see that as violent conduct would be someone with absolutely no hair so that yeah, that's the yeah. that's my conspiracy theory on why my <laughs> didn't see I do that like as it. violent conduct. i like it but i, I will say I, I like the apology i like i like the uh admission of some kind of mistake because for a lot of people I think the issue with referees is they're so they protect each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's in a way where you're like, well, if you guys would just admit when you made a mistake, like we would all be able to actually talk about this incident and figure out the best way to officiate it. Instead, you guys take the stance that no, 95% of the VAR decisions last season were correct. According to who, right. According to the official laws of the game or someone who's looking at it from a nuanced perspective. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, there is this idea of a referee's union, you know, they will stand up for each other, like you, you stand up for your friends. If they made a mistake, you stand up for them and be in their corner. And we understand that. And I don't think, I think the referees maybe look at it as a case that we're trying to pick them out. We're trying to put them on this pedestal and not pedestal, but we're trying to single them out and cause them to be the victim when we're not what we want to do. We don't care about the referees as football fans. We really want them just to be in the background and not take any of the headlines. Um, but we just want some accountability. 
empathy from again not the person itself but from from the fa we want them to stand up and say something needs to be changed does that mean we need to bring in um some sort of sort of neutral kind of regulator that comes in you know we were discussing on our podcast that there needs to be someone in var because var is run by referees right why don't we have someone who is clued up on the rules and clued up on the actual guidelines but isn't a referee is just a neutral body that says okay i understand you might not think that but i'm looking at it from a, a player and fan perspective maybe you get ex players to do it and say we should look at this it, it's it's not right and get them out of that that bubble the referees seem to live in i actually have the perfect candidate for this job okay it's all of us and it's really simple you just put a you just put a mic on the situation i'm not saying that referees should be mic'd up throughout the whole game i actually think that's a bad no. idea Anyone who said mm -hmm. that, I'm like, no, they need to be able to tell off players. You know, they need to be able to say to a player, look, shut the fuck up, man. Like, and I yeah, think refs should the pitch have stays that. On the pitch. Exactly. I think refs should have that freedom if they want to, you know, if a player is giving that to them, if they know this is how I'm going to control the situation. Yeah, this is not for the eyes of us. I agree. What happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. But the pitch side monitor is not on the pitch. Exactly. And Park <laughs> is not on the pitch either. So no. what I think is it just in those moments, just right when it's like, okay, there is a VAR check happening. We should be able to hear what the VAR booth is saying to the referee. And if they say, yeah, look, you're fine. We don't think you need, we don't want to, we don't think you need to see this. Now, would they feel pressure to send the referees over to the monitor way more often? Maybe fine. I would rather the referee on pitch makes the decision than someone in a van. Or in a you know mm. in, a, in a booth somewhere. So I do think the mic would help because I've seen this before. I don't know. Maybe you saw the video of them trialing that in Australia, where you could hear the, yep, the dialogue between it, yeah. VAR and the referee, and it was great. It was it was great. You yeah. just it it, it it kind of put everything to bed for you as a fan because you hear them telling what the rules are. They're like, well, this is the law. This is how you can interpret it in this moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Sounds good. Look, I'm giving a penalty. Right. Right. We got your back. And then he runs off, and you're you're sitting there going. I don't know if I can argue with that, you know? Exactly. There's that transparency that we just don't have. VAR was meant to come in and help that transparency where it's almost muddied the water even more now. And we've seen it. You've said it in other, you know, in other leagues that they have it in cricket. They use it when there's an out, they check it and you can hear them talking about it in, in rugby. You can hear the referees in those situations in yeah. other sports. They played it so well. It's not a hundred percent exposure, but it's enough that you can say, okay, I understand what's going on rather than, you know, I've, I've paid my subscription to the, the sports channels or I've paid my ticket for the, the season and I'm stuck here guessing how we're playing this game. Yeah, I mean, if you like an NFL game, it's incredible. The referees will come out, they'll stand there away from everybody, <laughs> holding 10-yard penalty, <laughs> offense, 35-yard line. And they've got their little flags, they flow yeah. around and everything. And, it's a, it's a whole big cheerleading section. The thing is that as a... As a as a, as a spectator, I think it, they do take a lot of the confusion out of what is going on. And I, and I mean, and this is also for people who fully understand the sport, you know, flag goes up. Oh, what was that? Well, they explain, here's what the penalty was. Here's the outcome. Mm -hmm. And here's where we start from. Let's go. You know, in basketball, they do the same thing. It's, it's always interesting to see. And then in baseball, it's shrouded in mystery. I mean, the umpires in baseball, <laughs> they don't have to say a word to anybody. 
So it's. I mean, as as an English person, base, baseball is an entire mystery to me. The whole sport is just what is going on here. What is happening? <laughs> it's so similar to cricket, but there's the cultural piece of it is its own thing as well. But mm. so, of course, this is great. That was not topic one, everybody. That was topic zero. <laughs> uh, we're gonna get to one right now. So I, I'm intrigued. I, I I get the feeling this is one of one of the most competitive seasons in recent times in terms of who finishes in the European places. I know we've, I remember Jose Mourinho famously said in his uh, second stint at Chelsea after they'd won the title, he said six teams could win the Premier League this year, right? And he was including Leicester and Spurs and obviously the other big four. But now it seems like the pack is even thicker and Mm -hmm. less predictable because you don't know if the big teams that should get there will and you see other teams coming up from behind so what do you think i mean the list of teams that i would put in this bucket i'm going to remove liverpool and man city because i just think they have too much of Of course yeah of they have years of of building the machine the way it is Mm -hmm. you go chelsea west ham arsenal spurs man united and then maybe Wolves, maybe Leicester, maybe someone else who just has an incredible season. So mm-hmm. what, what do you think about all these different options? I I enjoy the competitive nature of it now. You know, there's there are so many more teams involved in the race for Europe. You know, we're not title race, like you say, it's Liverpool or Man City every day of the week. There's no one is gonna do a surprise and catch one of them. But those three to sort of seventh place. There's, I mean, I totally even forgot Wolves before we said that. They've made some fantastic signings in this last transfer window or this current transfer window. Um, and you even look at people like Brighton, who they've lost a few big players, but had a very consistent season last season and have got some good replacements in. But if I'm if I'm thinking sort of the traditional big six, I mean, I made up, I made my predictions on our last episode, and it's I thought it was a bit controversial, but I think Spurs are going to get third. I think Arsenal are getting fourth. I think Chelsea are going to slip up and go to fifth. And then it's between United and West Ham for sixth and seventh. I think Tottenham and Arsenal have been kind of the models to be looking at for the rest of the pack in that they, especially Arsenal, they've they've stuck to the plan. They had a, a few rocky seasons. They had issues off the pitch with ownership, with the board. And, you know, we saw the the Spotify guy trying to buy Arsenal and fan revolution almost. Um, and that sort of died down. Arteta came in, steadied the ship a little bit. And piece by piece, they brought the puzzle together where now they're making brilliant signings. The whole system of bringing up youth and bringing in big money signings has gelled really well. And... I think they're going to do fantastic things this season. I see them as competing for that that fourth spot. Tottenham as well. They they've suffered managerial wise. Um, yeah, they've had what Mourinho, Mason, Nuno, and now they've finally got the man I think they wanted all along yeah. in Antonio Conte, who we both know as Chelsea fans. He's he's still one of the best managers in Europe, if not the world, um, and he's getting the investment that previous managers didn't people like Pochettino who given the sort of investment that Conte is getting could have gotten Spurs just over the line but never could and Spurs are, are they're almost a new animal now they've got 
depth beyond the first 11. They've got really good, young, exciting players coming through the ranks as well. And I think they're just going to, they're going to pip Chelsea to the Champions League. And I'm saying that as a Chelsea fan, but I just think they've, they've got the edge. Yeah. Spurs are an interesting case. I think a lot of people have made made this out to be, well, this is the season where they've spent a lot of money. And they, they've over the last year, they've definitely spent specifically on the players that Conte wanted. And, and I've heard different people say, and, and I it actually really dawned on me, but people have said Spurs used to leave a lot of their business very late mm-hmm. because Daniel Levy was tended to be looking for deals, tended to be wanting to be patient, didn't want to overpay. They got their business done early. Even Perisic came on a free, you know, that's not like enormous amount of money. I think they, they bought Jed Spence, right? That, that's yep. kind of a random little signing. And, you know, Bentancourt and Kulusevsky didn't come for massive money. I mean, they actually nope. sold Steven Bergvine for $26 million. So they, they, they've actually done really done well. That, but impressive. Yeah, <laughs> well, he went and he scored a hat trick this past weekend uh, for Ajax. So he's, he's, I always thought he was a really good player, just didn't fit whatever any manager really wanted from him because he did have good he did have good productivity when he was on the pitch but Mm. i i think what spurs did differently this season was they got the players the manager wanted early and so though i look at the squad and it still doesn't really scare me too much it's thicker and it's just more balanced and settled Mm -hmm. so the spurs i think are a good shout to finish in the top four Arsenal, it's uh, wow, yeah. Their their build, I think, I agree with you, has been piece by piece, and I'm impressed with the way they've stuck at it. Because and Man United should really take a, a page out of the Arsenal fan book here, because well, maybe not the fan book, but more just like <laughs> the way because the fan book was brutal. They, the Arsenal TV and Man United TV currently do their best when the club is struggling. Yeah, absolutely. That's the view is the flying. Yeah, yeah, because we start watching it, we're like, I want to see chaos in <laughs> yeah, that house. Exactly. So, it's it's to your benefit as a club to be heading sort of just step by step in the right direction instead of just trying to, you know, plug holes in a canoe with you know school glue. And mm. Arsenal, I just am impressed the way they stuck by Arteta because I always thought he brought something good to the table. I always thought the way he sort of had this sort of militant "don't cross me" attitude, and I was like. You, you're not going to revolutionize the, the dressing room and change the culture without someone doing that. So Man United, I think, definitely need to go down that route. I can see them slipping out completely from the top uh, seven. Just unless, look, to me, that's we'll see on September 1st. What have they done by then? Yeah, I mean, United, it's, I mean, it's a bit of a shit show, isn't it? Yeah. I th- they, But I think where they will... They will maybe scrape it if they do have a world-class manager in Ten Hag. You know, he is a very good man-manager. He's a very good tactician. And we've seen with a few of the signings they have bought in and have bought in sort of as of today with Casemiro from Real Madrid. They are spending the money where it needs to be spent. I'm not saying that they don't need to do a lot more business in the next 10 days because, my God, they need a striker. They need a few other people to really bring this team together. But they have got the skill in there. They have got the quality. They have got Ronaldo for now. And they probably will still have him. They've got enough to get them just over a line into the Europa League. Um, but I think West Ham will push them until the very last day. Yeah. 
And then the surprise teams, right? Because we talk about those ones that are sort of on the periphery. I mentioned Wolves, and you were like, yeah, I forgot about Wolves because they were in the top six for most of the season before they had a Mm -hmm. rotten run at the end. But then there's, you know, these random bogey clubs. I actually, in my last, the last episode that I did, one of my big questions for the league season was, are Leicester going to be involved in a relegation battle this year? Like, what's going to happen? It could go either way. They could either come together, good young team, a couple surprises, all of a sudden they're in the top seven conversation, or it just doesn't start well. Injuries pile up, relegation form, sacking a manager. So Leicester are one of those ones I don't know. The team that I actually think has an outside chance, more as a sleeper that no one's paying attention to, is Newcastle. They have dropped off the radar, haven't they? And I think it's because they don't spend money. Despite being about the richest club in the world, they're just, they're really not spending much money. So I wonder what business is going to get done at St. James's Park between now and the end of the transfer window. Because if they bring in just even even one impacts player, Hmm. they're going to be better than a fair few of the teams in mid table around them. So yeah, where do, where I, does I mean, that take them? How bad are Man United? How bad are say Wolves, Southampton, Leicester? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think this is maybe like a season too early. They've they've done well with the Saudi money so far, even with the sort of like the less uh, sort of title signings. So people like Dan Byrne, you know, bringing him in for you know, less than twenty million, I think it was Chris Wood, a very. Chris, I mean, Seb loves a bit of Chris Woods, honestly, my co-host. He, he can't get enough of him, but he's not going to get you over the line. If they can get in a striker, a 10 to 15 goal striker there for less than 40 million, I mean, they will do things. They've got a really nice setup. They've got Trippier. They've got the Danwoods. They've got the um, Bruno, who is, I, I hadn't seen a lot of him before he came last season, but he just lit up that side from he really did. A, a deep center mid role, which isn't something Newcastle have had for a long time. Um, I, I mean, I'm always in Newcastle's corner. I do like them as a club. And if they can dis, like sort of dispose Man United, I mean, all the better for me. <laughs> I, look, I, I mean, that's the thing is that they're, to me, it doesn't seem so far off. I mean, what they, they were third or fourth in the league uh, in terms of their form after Christmas. I think it was something insane yeah. like that. Um, and I think a lot of the time it, it, it especially with that mid table, like everything between eighth and 13th sort of feels like what kind of run did you go on at some point in the season, right? Because Southampton were safe very early on in the season, but the form they showed in the second half of the season could have gotten them relegated had they not been as good as they were early. So I kind of wonder how bad, just how poor do some teams how poor form do some teams have during the course of the season? If Newcastle can just methodically pick up points, ones that they should, maybe nick a few here or there, and not really get into a slide of like five straight losses. If they can do that, I, I could totally see them ending up in the in that picture come say late March, April. But yeah, again, it, definitely. It's, I think as long as knows. they beat everyone. But- yeah, as, as long as they beat everyone, it sounds stupid saying, but as long as they beat everyone below them, you know, as long as they win, like you say, they win the games they're meant to win against the Fulhams and, you know, maybe like, I think Southampton, people like that. As long as you pick up points there, you're not going to get wins against um, Man City or Liverpool, but just beat everyone that's around you. Beat Leicester, who, like you said earlier, 
I reckon they're going to go into nowhere town this this season. I think this is Brendan Rodgers' last season there. He's taken them as far as he can, and they're just getting picked apart in the transfer window. They still haven't signed anybody, right? No. And, I'm going to take a know, look at that real quick because I, I love the I, uh, the Guardian has a really good transfer uh, interactive where you can go club by club. It says they've yeah. transferred in Alex Smithies, Eng- uh, goalkeeper from Cardiff City, experienced keeper. Is the first summer signing, but like yeah, so he's there. I mean, exactly. Yeah, so they bought in. They've got Dan Ward, who was their backup last season. He's gone first choice, but Rogers confirmed that Fafana has been left out for Saturday's game. He's taking no part as he's trying to force a move. Um, They've their striker situation. They've still got Vardy, who, as much as I love him, he's a bit over the hill now, and the people they bought into. Be that sort of impact and take that take over the the stance in in Dakar and Ian Acho have showed spurts of of good form, but nothing consistent enough to keep them, you know, fighting on a, on a, a sixth to eighth place finish. That and you know they just lost everyone. I just feel that they're going to lose maybe Tielemans or Madison by the end of the window. Um, Fafana, I think they will outprice Chelsea eventually. But then you've got your best centre back, you know, not wanting to play for the club in what could be a very tough season for you, and that's, that doesn't bode well. Yeah, I, I, some I was listening to a podcast, one of the athletics podcasts, and someone mentioned that the problem at Leicester is not that they don't have money; they have plenty of money. They, you know, they're a Premier League team. They haven't they've received huge fees for the players that they've sold in the last few years, and have not just gone out and splashed the same level of cash. So. Uh, they've got you know great stadium they they have a pretty good commercial presence now since they won the title yeah. they have plenty of money the problem apparently is that they have too many people at the club they, there's too many players that are kind of just they're not really there. they're not really your starters they're kind of good they don't attract much attention in the market and so you don't mm-hmm. know and and they're on pretty good premier league wages so shifting them to other premier league clubs is difficult because no one really wants them if people want them in Europe, they don't want the wages. So they're in a situation where they actually need to get people out the door in order to bring more in just because they're so bloated. That's what that's mm. one thing that I heard, which I thought was very interesting because I've also heard people say, oh, they have no money, which when just thinking, I'm like, well, where'd the Maguire cash go? Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's not the only one, right? And they haven't been spending 60 million for replacements. So Leicester are an interesting case. They still have, in a, in a lot of ways, so many good players right there's still harvey barnes mm. telemans madison i i didn't watch Leicester yet this season but i was told that uh, vardy was like their best player when he plays still so if pats and daca mm-hmm. ian Accio can add who knows they might be decent this season but i'm with you i i have this very sneaky feeling like they're going nowhere and if you're going nowhere you're going down that's the way the premier exactly, league works yeah. really um so let's shift gears to one one of these clubs in particular because the one that is really the one that's making me take notice is West Ham. And it's because of their their summer spending so far. And I wanted to go through this. Gianluca Scamacca comes from Sassuolo for 35 million. He scored yesterday in their mm-hmm. um, uh, Europa League or Conference League qualifier. They got Naya Faguer yep. from Rennes, who is really highly touted in the French League. I only saw him play a couple times last season. Don't remember much. Uh, Maxwell Cornet. That 17.5 release clause that Burnley had for the uh, for relegation got triggered. I'm really surprised 
it took as long for Cornet to go anywhere. Um, but West Ham are the ones that got him, and I think that's great for them. Flynn Downs, that's an interesting one. Good young player. Tilo Kerr from PSG. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a really good signing. Um, and then they finalized Alphonse Ariola. That was he was already on loan at the club. Yeah. The players that they lost, Issa Diop. You know, I, I mean, I'm only going to mention the ones that that haven't that people really will recognize, but it's Issa Diop, uh, Nikola Vlasic, Arthur Maswaku. Yarmolenko, Alex Kral, Ryan Fredericks, Mark Noble. I, they have done some really seemingly good business. And they've shelled out quite a bit of money, more so than a lot of the other teams around them. So do you think they smell that there's an opportunity here? Man United's falling apart. Chelsea are going through new ownership. It, it is the, the season's to take advantage. You know, it is in their hands to do something about it. And... They've been proactive. You know, you see people like Skamaka were being touted for PSG and they couldn't yeah. get him out of, of Sassuolo. But then West Ham walk in and say, come to the Premier League. This is the project we're building. You are going to be with Antonio, who 31, club legend, but we're going to start integrating you from day one. And his goal against, was it Vif, Vifor, Vid, Vigil, whoever they played? Yeah. Great header. Exactly. So it was a classic West Ham number nine goal. And if he keeps getting that sort of service from the likes of Bowen and Cornet, he's, he's going to love life in the Premier League. And they, they're making good stuff. These, you know, the centre backs, which they struggled with hugely last season for injuries and, shall we put it, disciplinary problems um, <laughs> with a certain Kurt Zuma. Um, they've, they've strengthened where they need to strengthen. They haven't been afraid to spend money. And like I say, there's an opportunity there and they, they're, they're trying to take it. Well, I think their squad's really good. You know, see Bowen was on the score sheet last night as well. Reminds you, oh yeah, that guy's there. Antonio scored as well. So you have Antonio and Skamaka both score in the same match. Yeah, for West Ham, this looks good. It's all about can these, can these guys, you know, come in and make an impact? Because like I said, they didn't lose anybody that was so important. Mark Noble, yes, of course. Sure, yeah. Presence, but... There are some other personalities in that dressing room that are good enough for right now, I think, to, to take the baton. So I guess the big question then is, is the pressure now on David Moyes going to be, yeah, a, a little bit different? Because say David Moyes is a coach who did the, his best work in his career at Everton and here at West Ham working with the best that he was given and making mm. that happen and then finding really good sort of bargain transfers, right? The, the check boys, right? When you had Sufal and yep. Susek come in and just make a huge difference. Right. And, but when you're trying to go to that, that next level, when you're trying to break into the champions league and we watched Everton say, okay, this is it. We're going for it. And look where they ended up when Spurs yeah. sold Gareth Bale. They were like, okay, this is it. We've just made so much money. We can replace them with so many players and we can be Champions League outfits, you know, from here on out. And again, it just went backwards until Pochettino came in. So mm. I wonder for David Moyes, a, a manager who's done, like I said, his best work with more limited resources, how he will do with a squad that, yeah, is a little bit bigger. So he's got to manage happiness, player personalities and bringing in, 
you know, multiple players from outside of the league. How well do they integrate? He's, and it'll be a big year for David Moyes. Massively. He is going to have some grace, though, with both the fans and the board for his, for his exploits, last season especially. I mean, West Ham, Europa League semi-finalists, and until the last sort of eight or nine games where they kind of fobbed off the Premier League and was like, right, let's go for a trophy. He's He's going to have time. I think if it doesn't happen this season, it's not going to be, you know, he's not going to get a knock on his door from the owners and say, yeah, we, we've written the checks. Where's the results? Um, he's got enough of a presence at that club now. He's got himself established. He's building, a, I don't want to say dynasty because, you know, it's David Moyes, but he's bringing in good younger players that you can build a team around. You can put Skamaka in at your centre forward. You've got Bowen, you've got Corne. And then if you do lose a Declan Rice or a Suchek in the next two or three seasons, you've got to, you'll find someone new to mould into the team and bring into the atmosphere and the the tactic you've created over the last few years. But the the issue I have with West Ham, it's not maybe an issue, but maybe you want to come in on it. If you are West Ham and you are David Moyes and looking at what you did last season, do you concentrate on the Premier League and you know go gung-ho for potentially Europa League spot or do you put all your chips on the Conference League who you know we look at some of the teams in there I've not heard of 90% of them and obviously you've got the dropouts from the Europa League etc but do you put all your chips in the Conference League and and go that route well it's a great question I think them bolstering the squad gives them the opportunity to try for both but Leicester Mm. again great cautionary tale on this they made it to I think the quarterfinal of the Europa League they made it and the the previous year then they made it to the quarterfinal of the conference Champions last year was yeah last year yeah yeah. and and that was when they got bumped out of the Europa League that was when Brendan Rodgers famously said we're you're in the conference league you're gonna go for that now he goes I I honestly don't have any idea what that competition is I don't know what it is (laughs) yeah he said that and so yeah and, you know, then they're there. And the funny thing is the person who ends up winning it and, and getting a tattoo of it is Jose Mourinho. So, <laughs> and Roma wins the whole thing. So it, the, the, I think putting all your eggs in any European competition is a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea mm-hmm. unless you're Real Madrid because the, uh, the, course, they're, the yeah. ones that, they're the ones that when they go, that's it, we're all in on the Champions League, it works out. <laughs> Everyone else, it seems to fail. It's, you know, every club that has been hell-bent on winning it and prioritizing something else over it has failed at the other, which I have to give Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. credit for picking up the amount of trophies he has domestically. Look, he's missed out on the Champions League with City, but the amount of trophies they've racked up is big. And it's it shows they have not let that competition distract them from the rest. West mm-hmm. Ham... Maybe they have the squad for it, but my opinion is they should absolutely focus on the league, focus on domestic cup competitions, because in a lot of ways, that's where you can just add extra extra games that give you the ability to rotate your squad, find young players that might be able to give you something late in the season if someone gets injured. But the intangibles of a European, I mean, you know, what if they steam through their group, they're feeling great, they win all six games, concede two goals, score 30, something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. They get drawn with, uh, I don't know, uh, let's say Chelsea, 
fall. No, because Chelsea are actually they'd be a Champions League team. So it's, it's, let's say one of the top Europa League teams fails, mm-hmm. gets third in their group, and now they're playing, you know, a, a, a very strong side who are difficult to go on the road to. It doesn't go right in one or two legs, and that's it. You're out. And if you've really put all your eggs in that basket mentally, I think that's more than anything psychologically. Definitely, yeah. Then, then it's a problem. But they should attack the league. And, and because if they attack the league, they'll be in European football next season. And hopefully for them, it'll be Europa or Champions League instead of Conference League. So sure, I would say sure. not bin the Conference League because it's not important. But the league is, like you said, there is a great opportunity, largely because of Man United here and the fact yeah, that Leicester exactly. no longer are really pushing and and they seem to have done the best business I, I will say Wolves Wolves have been interesting but we just don't really know Bruno Laga just seems like this very mysterious figure so yeah, yeah. really a good coach I think he is I just, I, you just I you, you never know you don't he's he's like mysterious is the perfect word for it because he doesn't come out and he's not an outspoken manager you just see these little tweaks every week and the little changes and it just magically works and They've got some great Portuguese players come through the door yet again. Yeah, they they sound Gonzalo Wittish, right? From, from uh, yes, yep, yep. It's a very interesting one. That's I've always liked him. Wonder Kid a few years ago. Really want to see him perform though. Yeah, and and Valencia is such a bizarre club to play for in the last few years that it, you can't really judge players based on how they've been there. I don't mm. think unless if they've been exceptional, then then they're they're rising above some real shit because <laughs> it's just Valencia has just been a mess. Yeah. So, so then let's go to the, the the team you have picked to finish fifth this season, our beloved Chelsea. So, yeah. Let's just let's rate Todd Bowley's job so far. What what do you what do you think? Takes over the club, really earnestly takes over when the season ends. Not really, mm. not really before too much. So, no. Gets the summer. How's he done? I think overall, I think I've got to give him a B plus in terms of what he's done so far. And let, let's let not take it out of context. What he's done so far is steady a ship with numerous holes in it, you know, cannonball-sized holes in it. You know, a club that six months prior was had all their assets frozen by the UK government, was had no source of income at all. Everything was getting taken away from them. And there was a, for a few weeks, there was a very real opportunity that, Chelsea would go under and would just cease to exist. And he's come in and in a very short time, he has steadied that ship. He has got very importantly, the fans on side because he was, especially with the American side of the ownership, there was a lot of trepidation from fans, especially on this side of the pond. Um, His situation with the board and what he's done there, maybe not what he's done, but what's happened rates him down slightly again not him but the, the the process and the signings have been a bit a bit all over the place for me but we're talking about sort of check and granaskaya leaving yeah and yeah. bruce buck you know and sort bruce of buck, yeah. three key individuals under bramovich um but also just in the day-to-day running i mean those three were, were had their fingers in all the pies at chelsea and we saw the progression of um you know, especially Marina and Czech coming in, we saw the route from youth team to first team. We saw fantastic signings coming in. We saw great transfer fees coming out for players that we didn't need. Um, and she had more hits than she had misses. Yeah. Um, and to lose someone like her is was a huge blow. 
and and Czech as well. And Bruce Buck's been there, you know, for as long as I can remember. Um, and you know, he was he was there day to day. So that, that's a big big loss. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like there's no. I felt there was no way once Todd Bully took over. I felt okay. Marina will be here at maximum the summer to help hmm. with transfers and things like that. But considering, I mean, she was literally like a, an assistant to Abramovich, not like high level assistant, but like, you know, administrative assistant to him way back in the day. And yep. because of her credibility and intelligence and, and, and the trust he was able to put in her, she worked her way up to where he was like, okay, you're in charge of the football club now because I can't <laughs> be here. The, the, <laughs> Renig my visa. I can't come back. You're in charge. Bruce mm-hmm. Buck was around from, when did he roll in? He rolled in someone like 2005 like, or six. He yeah, was like early, really early Abramovich days. Yeah. yeah. So I would understand if you're Todd Bowley that you'd want to remove the confidant that's been there forever that probably knows way too much. And then the guy, <laughs> the guy who basically was the second in command for all that long. Check hmm. that surprised me because he's an ex-player. Um, he he was only part of the regime. He's only I don't even think he was a two year. years. Yeah, it, it wasn't very long at all. Because I know he, he was, I don't even know, he was brought in not even at the beginning of Lampard's uh, time. I think he was brought in. Sort of mid, midway-ish? Yeah, like going into the second, be, be, I don't know. It wasn't, but he was not at the club long. So I, I, that's why I was surprised. Like, he's not really like binded to the old regime in the same mm. way. So I, that's why I was surprised that Czech went. The other two, I don't know. I mean, it's also a consortium that Todd Bully's come in with. So all yeah, those we, guys, the ones that are quiet with no money, I can imagine they were like, those two need to go. We don't want to, yeah. we don't want to hear them. So we do forget there is multiple invest. It isn't just Todd Bowley sometimes, yeah. but it would have like been nice capital. to, yeah, that's the ones. It would have been nice to have them around even just for sort of half until January, maybe just for that transitionary periods for Bruce Buck to say, right, this is how we do things. Not saying you have to, but this is how we've been doing things. Let me show you around. And again, Marina is like, right, here is our, our transfer list. Here's our scouting reports from last year. This is who we're looking at. This is who we've already made contact with. These are my contacts. But obviously with her loyalty to Abramovich, I, I understand her decision completely. And I guess this is where you also have to give it to Bully that he was like, I'm in. I don't care. I've never spoken to these people. Give me their numbers. I'm calling Juan Laporta. Yeah, what's yeah. up, Juan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Frank come my boat. <laughs> hey, hey, nice work scooping up Rafinha and Kunde from under my nose. What you got for me? Right. And it sounds <laughs> from what th- there have been rumblings that everyone kind of likes Todd Bowley in Europe. Mm. That he's come in and actually, like, people are like, oh, okay. He's, you know, business like, courteous enough, comes in, wants to do a deal. If you don't want one, he's not trying to like f- fiddle around. I think he, he also doesn't have the time at the moment. No, not to so. be messing about. And so, I thought Raheem Sterling was a really good initial signing because if that guy's available, he you, pick you him have up. to take him. I mean, he's 28 years old, 27, 28. Yeah. And and his numbers are outstanding over the last mm. few years. And he is an amazing player. He's an he's very unique. He's I don't think he gets the credit he deserves from a lot of people in the UK. I actually I know he doesn't, but yeah, <laughs> but I think he's a great signing. I think that Koulibaly is here three years. Uh, not too late because I just it, three years ago is when I thought maybe it was going to happen. So it's nice that he's finally here. And it just looks like this ship that, like you say, it seemed to be sinking. You're going to lose every defender, mm. right? 
and then you don't know if the people who are going to come in are really going to understand how we, we can't just be building for this season and just bringing play, whoever in it, it's yeah. got to be, there's got to be a plan. So I like that Tuchel's still around to help with that process. Cause I think he's less likely to just be like, I don't know, just sign everybody. <laughs> yeah. But I will also say one thing that I'm interested in with Todd Bowley is how does he change the one thing that I would imagine is the most frustrating for me as a Chelsea fan, probably most frustrating for a lot of people is when you see young players come in, show a ton of promise, they're sold for enormous amounts of money. And then within no time you realize, Oh, we could have kept them and not signed this flop. Right. Mm. So we, you know, we let Tammy Abraham go. Timo Werner's a struggle. Romelu Lukaku's a struggle. And you're like, well, now he, and he's banged in 20 goals in Italy. Yeah. You know, Fikayo Tomori was AC Milan's player of the season. I mean, you know, the, so I'm looking at this. I'm like, Billy Gilmore is probably going to be shown the door. Ethan Ampin is going to be shown the door. I, I'm not opposed to those, but you can't tell me that it makes sense to sell Armando Broya and bring in Pierre Emerick Obama Yang. I mean, to me, that is just like, no, this is the same as signing Ricardo Quaresma. Or, Christ. you know, that's a poor Ricardo Quaresma. Yeah. All three games he played for Chelsea. <laughs> and, and the sad thing is, if you really rack your brain on Chelsea signings, you can find a lot of those bizarre, the loans. I mean, Alexander Pato um, mm. was at Chelsea for a minute. He's he's currently in Orlando playing yep. for the – and this guy – so this is the thing. is Those are the transfers you're just like, I want to avoid these 33-plus-year-old guys who just need a home at the moment. That's what they look like. They're like old dogs that just need a new house. <laughs> And we're what well, we're going to get rid of one of the most promising young players that came out of our academy for that. So that's the mm. thing. From my perspective, I'm like, I want to see the young players bedded in. We have enough. There's so many good quality, experienced veterans in the team. Let's let's find more Trevor Chalabas because at the end of that game, to see Reese James score, Connor Gallagher on the field ruffling feathers, Mason Mount, I, you know, it was. Armando Broya was on the field. It was like, wow, like literally half the team out there are academy graduates. This is what we want. Yeah, it's it's what we've dreamed about for since you know the beginning of the Abramovich era. We used to have back in the 90s, we used to have a steady, not a big stream, but a steady stream of players come through the ranks and, and make names for themselves. You know, we all we buy them very young and adapt them into the team. People like Dennis Wise, you know, um, Graham Lasseau, John Terry, obviously. Yeah. Um and yeah, the last couple of transfer windows, seeing especially Tamori and Abraham, and you look at the the, the place we're in now. And like I said, we buy Mr. Lukaku for a hundred plus million euros, and you know he, he, he's not interested in playing football. And then we had Tammy Abraham, a kid who's been at the club since he was eight or nine years old. You know, showed in every game the passion he had for the club and how much better he was getting. And then we we get decent money, but long term it's not right and this well, is going to spend stuff. 85 million on Fofana, on Fofana when you had Tamori ready you had made Tamori. yeah exactly yeah. um yeah like it's... I mean I'm glad yeah. he sold but geez I, I mean I saw him in preseason I was like this kid has to be around he has to be around yeah it's it's finding that balance I mean Lampard had it sort of forced upon him of having to you know dive into the academy and see what we've got and it turns out we've got some amazing players. I mean, if Lampard wasn't there, 
Mason Mount would be nowhere near this first team. Reese okay. James would be playing for for a mid table no, team he'd be, in the he'd be at Arsenal tearing it up. That's what he absolutely, and then get bought, you know, by Man City for 80, 90 million. Yeah, it's it was a, Lampard was a blessing in disguise, and that transfer um, sort of embargo was was a blessing. But we need to continue that that legacy, and we need to keep the 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 conveyor belt moving because if we lose more Trevor Chalabers and more Cowells, it's it doesn't look good for us. And it's you know Toboli, he's there to to make make club, the club money and at the moment he's you know he's happy to spend but in two or three years when you know maybe some of the signings aren't working out as much you know we've paid Koulibaly 200 grand a week now for two three years we've lost Thiago Silva we've got to spend 80 million on Fafana we've just got to look at inside and be like hang on we can save a good amount of money we've got the best academy in Europe I don't care what Messiah is saying Chelsea yeah. have the best academy in Europe and it's it's proven through the amount of players that are playing across Europe that have come from that academy that we don't hopefully in a year or two we won't need the Kukurea 55 60 million pound signings because we will Tuchel will look around and say oh I've got people to pick from who are Premier League standard and, and are good to go I, I, I love seeing that as a you know going to Stamford Bridge since sort of the late 90s whenever a homegrown player comes on the pitch the the reaction from the crowd is different to anything else. Yep. You know, when when Torres came on the pitch, it was a it was a wow that we've got Fernando Torres. When Lukaku came on the first time, or Drogba were like, "This is the man." But when Mason Mount made his first appearance, when Tammy Abraham made his first appearance, the the excitement and the 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 passion generated from the fans is is next level. Yeah, and it's. I think it, it is very difficult for a lot of maybe managers and club owners to really recognize that moment, like what it does for the fans. I, I just don't think they know, oh, this guy, when you see the way the fans react to a young player coming on, you start to go, oh, wait, oh, well, okay, well, that's something we should keep in mind that that it's it's pretty popular to do. So I, I agree. Yeah. And I, I, the reason, I, maybe, I, look, I'll give... On this note, I'll give Todd Bully an A minus. Maybe the number one thing for me is because he did not re-sign Nathan Ake for sixty million. <laughs> not that I have any issues with Nathan Ake, but we have made our bed with Nathan Ake. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's over. Good luck to you. You will. You you probably are in a place where you're going to win more titles at the moment. Fine, but it's the same reason why when we went back for Lukaku last summer, I, I, I did expect it to work, but Everyone there was did. something so scary about the price to me. And I was like, this just has boom or bust written all over it. There is no in between here. No. Nope. And, and that's the scary thing about signing players for so much money is, and especially, especially if they're ones you have had a maybe or it didn't work before and you're trying again. Mm -hmm. So I understand in the past why Abramovich didn't always want to bring back players he sold off. And probably the right thing to do was not to, to buy them back. I don't know if Salah or De Bruyne would be the players that they are if they get to come back to Chelsea. Mm. But could they become the players that they are had they been given Stayed. time to stick around and be given sure, yeah. opportunities at the club? So that's that's the big the big thing. So we'll we'll see. I'm I think everyone's curious to see how this uh, Todd Bowley Clear Lake Capital thing goes. But as a Chelsea fan, I always said this is going to be different. 
And we've seen ownership changes and managerial changes, like, you know, dynasty amount, but, you know, mm -hmm. who were in charge for a long time, whether it's Ferguson or Wenger or whether it's Abramovich. When those people leave, sometimes it creates a, a difficult vacuum to get to replace. And it, it takes years to rebuild. And so if Chelsea are able to kind of stay a top four team and stay competitive and everything through this transition, I would say that's an, a pretty amazing achievement from the ownership group. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've said a few things that, you know, oh, we're, we're a bit worried about this. This These are Bamiyang links. I'm so against the Bamiyang stuff. It's unreal. Um, and there's a few things that we're just not fully behind. But, you know, it, it's been, as a Chelsea fan, you've always got to live in hope. You know, when I was growing up, we were always the 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 maybe guys, the the nearly. We nearly got there, and the amount of times we got to semi-finals and finals. But you live in hope, and we're going to give the ownership and the management and the players on the pitch, you know, one hundred percent of the support, and we'll we'll see what happens. I don't think we're expected to to get to a, a Champions League semi-final this this year, or I think a good season for us. You put it in, keep competitive. If we get top four, fantastic. If we can maybe nick a league cup or an FA Cup, terrific, brilliant, brilliant season. Yeah, especially after going to two losing finals last year, I want to go to Wembley and lift a trophy. Win. Not yeah. not me personally, obviously. I don't think no, I'd be able I, to I, get I, on there. Are you kidding me? I would love but, to do that. Oh, I pay you all of my money, all of my money. <laughs> well, I, it, it'll be really interesting to see. I think I think most people are curious about it, but so far, in my opinion, so good. So. Yeah, and 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 we'll we'll finish up with the the final topic, which is got to be a transfer topic. You know, we're mm -hmm. about twelve days, 10, 11 days from the end of the window, so I wanted to get your opinion on two two possible stories here. So a transfer that you really would like to see happen, sure, doesn't matter where, doesn't matter who, but one that you're like, man, I would love to see that transfer take place. The player go from the, and then the other one is. Which one that's rumored that pe people are talking about that you're like, please, no. Like, I want this to fail. Okay, yeah. Um, there's, I mean, for the ones that I hope happen, there's there's one that is a main one and one that's a bit a bit left field. The one that's a bit left field is the rumors of Delhi Ali going to Besiktas at the moment. Now, this there's there's falls from grace, then there's Delhi Ali falling from the, the top of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. You know, so much wasted potential, so much promise that, I mean, that goal against Palace from four or five years ago will forever be one of the best goals ever scored in the Premier League. Since then, he's played for England a few times. He's done the odd bit here and there, but he's gone from Tottenham. He's fallen down the ladder and further and further. And we all know sort of Turkey is the retirement home of Europe. He's going there at 27, 28. I, I hope this happens so that he has that sort of moment of realization of it's not too late. Like if I put in a real shift, it's not too late. Yeah. You know, a lot of those videos have been going around from the Spurs all or nothing documentary when Mourinho said to him, you know, I was 20 yesterday and now I'm 55. You don't have time to, to take this for granted. You don't have time for to take a few weeks off training and just give it 50% because a career in football is is short and his had so much potential, so much promise. And it's 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 a kind of shame to see him fall like that, which is just horrible. 
So you said you had two that you were hoping yeah. would happen. The because main one I want to see is Frankie De Jong to Chelsea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know the rumors have died oh, that down would be recently. So good, especially after watching Kante pull up with that, that hamstring injury, which almost just set me in tears, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he looks to be out for, I think Tuchel said weeks, not days. That did not look good. That no. look honestly you you need minimum six weeks off and then and then you need a recovery process because that's a hamstring that's just not going to stop going especially the type of player he is and the amount look the guys probably run more miles in the last (laughs) 10 years than any player or any team like take one squad and then any human him. being, yeah. any human being on the so, planet. Uh, the, the entire Man United eleven over the last ten years has run less than Ngolo Kante. That's that's what. That's probably. I, I wouldn't put past it. Yeah, that might actually be true. Until yeah. Ten Hag came and had them catch up to Brentford, right? That was yeah. Honestly, that was that was hilarious. So yeah, but, De Jong to Chelsea. We know this I mean, is not going to Man United. He does not. He doesn't want to leave Barcelona, but he definitely doesn't want to go to play Europa League football. Exactly. I mean, we all know Frankie de Jong is an elite level midfielder. He is a, a complete midfielder as well. He's got the height, he's got the touch, he's got the passing range, he's got the ability, the vision. He can score a goal and his defensive output is pretty good as well. He is. He would slot into that Chelsea team so well in, in an age that we know we've seen Kante getting these injuries more frequently now. Jorginho is less and less effective every season unless he's taking penalties. And for him to, he could, we could transplant him out of Barcelona, put him into the Chelsea midfield, and he'd run the game from from day one. He would run the tempo, run how we're going to attack, how we're going to defend, and we could build around him. You know, everyone would would get into that, and it'd be fantastic. And the other I think side, he of it, and Jorginho would be great together because Jorginho can sit and he can just let Frankie go. Exactly, just do his thing, and his thing is you know much higher than most of the, the Chelsea midfielders at the moment, not to, you know, sort of um, lessen their, their impact on the game, but Frankie's another level. And just to see United fans crying because they've been flirting with him. He, they've been treating it. Flirting? Been at, I mean, they've I been mean, bringing flowers. I'm sorry, <laughs> probably dropped a Lamborghini in front of his house and I Honestly, don't know what they've done. It's been like... You know, you go to sort of go out for the front or like a Friday night and your mate is trying it on with that one girl and all night he's trying, he's trying, he's buying her drinks. He's going, it's like, do you want to come for a dance? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And she is just like not interested. It's just looking at her phone. She's going to you know, go home and wash her hair. He's not had a look around at anything else. It's just this one girl from the moment he stepped in the club. And just to see Frankie Dion De Jong pull on a Chelsea shirt and Man United jaws just being like, what the hell? How have Man United missed out on a player? We have all this history and all of this, you know, pomp, and we can't get anyone. But Chelsea can just pull a few strings and off we go. I mean, that wouldn't, yeah, that just to see the Man United fans really kind of struggle, it put them in their place that. a little bit. Because you know, I, I, yeah, and and I actually, I think when you say it put them puts them in their place, on more of a serious note, not really trying to troll United here, but. One of the things that I've heard for years, especially because we look the pundits, so many of them are ex United players. When you think about Rio and the Nevilles and uh, you know that Michael Carrick oh, pops out decides he wants to talk, yeah, so many of them played for Man United. And in their era, the way it worked is you go and you get him. Now the last, the first player, or the, sorry, the last player that people been said this about 
repeatedly in the last few years. Let's, sorry, the first player for them to talk about this where it just did not happen was Harry Kane, mm-hmm. where everyone was like, just go and get him. Just put the money down and he's yours. And that idea that Man United can just do that is from a different era. It doesn't exist anymore. They, they, not that they're not a huge club, not that they won't come back. They mm-hmm. will. But they are in a current lull similar to where Liverpool were 10 years ago, where they could not pull the biggest names, where Fernando Torres as a young, strapping young player was like huge as a signing for them. They weren't, they weren't going to pick up the top players that were exiting La Liga or Serie A. They, they couldn't do that. Mm. And so I, I don't know. I, I think that Man United now, they're, they, they're at this weird stage where they're just not, they just don't have that same clout. And I think a lot of people have forgotten that it's going to take time for them to get back to that, where they can't just say, Frankie, you know, because some people said, I don't understand what's wrong with Man United. Just pay the money and get him. Well, the guy literally is like, I don't want to go. <laughs> and, and there's people like, I, how how is he not want to go to Man United? It's the biggest club in the world. It's like, well, is it though? What right, I mean, right now? Yeah, you, you put it perfectly that they are the Liverpool of 10 years ago. You know, when they were searching for the biggest and best players, they had Sir Alex Ferguson to make the call. And, you know, when he phoned a player or an agent or whoever, you picked up the phone. It's like, hi, Alex, how are you doing? And he would tell you, don't worry about any problems you've heard. I am in charge. And he was in charge. But now there's there's political divide. There's fan divide. There's ownership, which is just you could fill up a whole podcast on it. And you, we probably will at some point. It's there's so many issues and cracks that paying the money now doesn't paper over them. And there's no there's no draw anymore. And there won't be for several more years until a new ownership is sorted out and a new hierarchy is sorted out from scouting to recruitment to, you know, analysts. Everyone's got to go and reshape. Yeah, I agree. Now, I I did want to mention because this question, uh, which transfer do you hope happens? Mm-hmm. You you said exactly one that I wrote down, which was Deli Alley, and I, I I I for me it's not so much. I'm more than happy to accept that Deli Alley has shown us his best. I'm ex, I'm I'm willing to accept that Deli Alley will never be in the England team again. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to accept he'll never play in the Premier League again if he leaves. What I would like to see for Deli Alley is to go somewhere outside of the the thunderstorm the shitstorm that is the English press and the story around him, because now he's never going to escape. Like he's Ravel Morrison now, right? Like people still oh, talk yeah. about Ravel Morrison, you know? Mm. And it, it, the unfortunate thing for players like this is that they will never escape this unless they make the huge comeback, which we all hope. Yeah. But how often does that really happen? It's so rare that they make the big comeback. So for mm. me, it's Deli Alley. Go enjoy yourself, play somewhere. And who knows, maybe he ends up like, Andre Pierre Gignac moves to Mont- moves to Monterrey, Mexico, starts playing for Tigres, and now is like the guy is he owns the town, like mm. he is the king because he's been, he's racked up record amounts of goals for them, won them titles, and you can imagine a French guy who, believe me, he was getting it from the French fans. Right? Yeah, My mother's yeah. French, father's English, a huge France fan, and like I remember, Gignac was terrible. It was like, oh my god, this guy's worse than Giroud, you know, by a lot. And he's starting. And Gignac, it was just no one ever really felt it was going to work. 
And I think he was smart enough at like 26, 27 to go, I'll just move to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. And like, think about the life he currently has, the way he's enjoying his football. He's the god in the town. Mm. I think mm. if Deli Alley decides, you know, wh whatever, go to Melbourne and literally light up the Australian League for the next five years and have a good time. Why not? Because in the Premier League, it will there will always be the the elephant in the room unless he comes mm. back and is brilliant. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I just think that there's a there's an arrogance amongst English players that have played at the top level. Yeah, we've seen Daniel Sturridge try in Turkey, fail. Went to Australia, I think made two appearances, fail. Yeah. Um, there's there's MLS so many too. count. Did he go to MLS? I think he was here. For, yeah, I think he was LA FC or LA. I think it was LA Galaxy signed for. for it was a very short time. And I don't even wow. think he played. I don't even think he played. I think it was. Yeah. I may be wrong about this, but yeah. Yeah, th there is just an arrogance. Player. Yeah, there's an arrogance of, of English players. And I feel that I don't think... I don't say I, I'm back in Delhi Alley. I want him to form a comeback, come back to Everton and show us, by the way, I'm still here. I can still make an impact. But he's got to treat this turkey not like a holiday, not to you know go out and enjoy the, the beaches and the bars. You've got to get down to work because this is your last big paycheck. And that money runs out quick when you've got the football lifestyle. Yep. Yeah, I know. That's I agree. All right. Let's talk about uh, the transfer that you hope falls through. I mean, we've mentioned the Bamiang already, so I won't harp on about that. Um, that a pretty, it's a pretty good obvious one from a Chelsea perspective, though. Yeah, I mean, both the ones I had down at Chelsea. Bamiang, you know, it's it's why I'm slightly cautious about this, this Sterling transfer. It it doesn't fit the Chelsea system. Um, you know, Bamiang and Sterling rely on pace and dribbling and just beating people at speed, but Chelsea have a very slow build-up. We yeah. get to the box, we box a, a team in, and then we pass it around the edge of the box for 20 minutes and see if we can make, break them down. You know, you're putting Sterling and Aubameyang in that. It, it doesn't make sense. Anyway, the other, the one that has been doing the rounds in the last few days, and they've actually had a bid turned down, um, is Anthony Gordon to Chelsea. Mm. Now, I am an Anthony Gordon fan. Good prospect. Helped Everton. 50? I'm getting on to 50 million. I mean, we live in an age now that Gibbs White goes to Nottingham Forest for 45 million. It was 45? It was like 20, 25 initial with 20 million add-ons. The guy has played, guy scored one goal and like three assists in four years in the Premier League. Wow. Back to Gordon though. Good prospect. Really, I like his style of play. He's a direct player. He gets a lot of game time at Everton. And, you know, could be the next icon that that club looks at. And let's face it, they haven't got many. But coming to Chelsea for £50 million, a Chelsea team that you've got the US captain, Christian Pulisic, sitting on the bench, who can't get a game. You've got Hakim Ziyech, who can't get a game. You've got Hudson-Odoi, who can't get a game. You have to get rid of Timo Werner because he just he couldn't perform in the system. It wouldn't fit. You're playing Ruben Loftus-Cheek at right wing back. Which was a tactical genius. Yeah, by great. It, I mean, it was brilliant. I love him, so it doesn't matter. But yeah. yeah. It, that's it's, a perfect example, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not the right fit. And you're going to come into this club, you're going to sit on the bench, and you're not going to fulfill that potential. You know, like I mentioned, you know, you've got Christian Pulisic, who, again, I'm a big fan of. I really rated him. In that comeback from COVID that we had, 
when he was just on fire, he was scoring hat tricks. He was assisting Giroud. He was he scored in the FA Cup final. You know, Captain America in London, perfect, brilliant, make that film. But you know, if he can't get a game, Anthony Gordon's not getting a game. Let's be honest. Yeah, Anthony and- Gordon seems like a huge risk. I, they are also signing a lot of sort of random young players at the moment, which I think mm. is interesting. Right? There's uh, Slolina who came from yeah. Chicago, Inter? which was. Oh, yeah, that's the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah the goalkeeper. Yeah. And then uh, they just signed a boy, it, the Italian boy. I forgot his name. I um, don't know. I don't know Signed his name. from Inter, yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think those are interesting. They're also cheaper, so they, they can come in and sort of, we'll see where they are in the squad. Yep, that's exactly. like 50 million on a player who really only has one season's experience and mm-hmm. in a relegation side where basically all he has to do is go and give energy and he's going to look great. Yeah. So that's exactly. what worries me about Anthony Gordon. I just don't see who he who I don't, I yeah, just don't see exactly where he goes, but it's yeah, that's one that would for me ding the uh A minus that we that I did talk goalie. <laughs> but but again, he's a young player so we'll see. But that yeah. one is yeah, uh, as from a Chelsea perspective, it's a little worrying to see 50 million thrown around for a player who's got one season of Premier League experience and just looks like a really excited cheap dog. Exactly. He he brings a lot of energy, a lot of raw footballing talent, but you've got to hone that talent in. You've got to understand what is your game? What are you very good at? And, you know, 50 million is the transfer market is broken. I mentioned Gibbs White for 40 odd million to Nottingham Forest, who somehow have got unlimited pockets. Um, But it's just not it doesn't sit right with me. I I don't want to see him waste away at Chelsea be another what if sort of situation yeah i agree all right i'm gonna tell you mine and i think it's gonna make you happy hit me i hope cristiano ronaldo goes nowhere (laughs) talk to me give me a reason hey you remember how i said you make your bet we chelsea we made our bed with nathan ake that's it let's leave it look united fans when CR7 came back last year and scored a double on his debut and he hijacked the deal from City, I mean, the, the optimism, but also to a certain degree, the arrogance of what would happen was extraordinary. Mm. To then go, and I did a little, I made a comment about this, made a little video about it a while back that Cristiano Ronaldo is not the problem at Manchester United. But the funny thing was that even though he was their top goal scorer, even though he bailed them out of every single Champions League match, mm-hmm. and, and and is uh, all of their good highlights from last season are him. They're exactly, all him. Yeah. He has their top seven goals or whatever. Like, it's all him. Mm-hmm. So for fan bases and then pundits and everyone to essentially just blame him, to me, is insane. Is he part of the problem? Sure, of course. I, 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 I see. Of course, there's a problem there. But at the same time, when they went two nil down against Brentford, mm-hmm. of course, every time anything happens at Man United, they show the camera on Ronaldo. Yeah, that's what they do. So the camera goes to Ronaldo, and he's going, "Come on, we just need one. We just need mm-hmm. one." So is is that the guy that's causing you all these issues? Is is because? He's the fittest 37-year-old on the planet, and he's not pressing like a like 31-year-old or 28-year-old. That is causing all the issues. For me, it's a Man United. Look, you have Ronaldo, okay? 
there is a lot of assets that come with having Ronaldo. Mm. You've signed him for two years. Deal with it. Stop trying to hit the eject button this summer. Even if he wants to go, I, I just want them to deal with this for the next year because it's, it's only fair, right? If, if we had had to deal with Lukaku this season, I was like, look, if that's what has to happen for us to figure out how to either make it work or to finally say, no, we'll take a huge loss on this work you're going. Mm. But to me, it's like, no, this, they, they, it's a get out of jail free card to have Ronaldo just magically disappear at the end of the window. I want them to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, Ronaldo, as much as he brings to the team, this whole transfer soap opera around him, this, this last sort of month has been, it's been comical. You know, his agent's out with Todd Bowley in Portugal. Then he's he's speaking to Bayern Munich. He's speaking to Barca. He's speaking to Real Madrid. And everyone has shut the door on him. But what I would have wanted to see from Ronaldo is after all these options didn't happen, is to come out and say, right, let's get this season done, shall we? Let's crack on. I'm here. I'm going to score goals. I'm going to lead the team. Instead, yeah. we're going to find out and this is his words. We're going to find out in two weeks what his situation is. Now, if I'm a Man United fan, I'm sitting here there for two weeks, just gripping the sort of the uh, the armrests on my chair, because if he miraculously somehow leaves deadline day, United are out of every talking point for Europe top ten, and they're in a relegation scrap. So. I mean, it could go both ways, right? But I also think that he's just such a distraction, right? It's a a goal gets scored, like David De Gea fumbles the ball in his own net. They're mm. like, what does Ronaldo think? Yeah, you know? true. So true, yeah. <laughs> it's such a soap opera. I think either way, it'll be it'll be fascinating. But if you're a fan of any club and you have a little bit of you, you take a little bit of enjoyment from watching Man United uh, tread water, at, you know, it's the nicest way to say it at this point. I, yeah. I just think it's kind of a funny one because of the way he came back mm. to then just push the eject button after one year. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, we'll see. We'll see. We say two weeks time. We'll, we'll see the big song and dance and the performance. Well, and, and this will actually be perfect because we were talking uh, right before we went on to record that in two weeks time, the transfer window will be closed and we will get back together to dissect it. I was kind of thinking of some ways it'd be kind of fun to, since you all, uh, since the panel that I was thinking we would do would be you guys and the nostalgia guys, since mm -hmm. you're all in the UK, we could actually pretty much wait until like, you know, the, sort of midnight and do yeah. one around then. Or we could wait until it's like sort of midnight, 1 a.m. for me and you guys, it's the morning and all the stories are kind of flushing through. Trying you to wait right for those, go wait for those fax machines, haven't you? Yeah, those uh, dodgy fax machines at the, the 11th hour. Exactly, right? <laughs> that, that's exactly, some clubs, they, they turn off their internet and their email, they, they turn <laughs> off their emails and they're like, if you want to get in touch with a signing, fax us. That's it, that's all <laughs> we're accepting at this point. But just the full blackballing, we're not selling anybody. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, Barcelona will just have levers everywhere, and those oh. will be those will be trap doors for players that they still have. <laughs> so they're gonna put a trap door under like Memphis Depay's locker in the lot in the changing room, and just yeah. Juan Laporte is gonna be like, "Okay, Memphis, you've got to go." <laughs> oh, Barcelona, I we don't have enough hours in the day to discuss that club. I've I wanted to cover it. I can't. I literally can't. It's too I mean, crazy. 
you've got to be both a financial analyst, a psychologist, uh, a, maybe an ex-player to have an understanding of what the players are going through. You know, your employer comes to you and says, I need you to take a 50% pay cut. Uh, also, say hello to Rafinha, who uh, costs us a lot of money. Show me around, will you? Thanks. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. But you know what it reminds me of? This reminds me of the beginning of the Galacticos era, because I remember Florentino Perez coming out and saying, el fútbol, el fútbol necesita cambiarse. Like, it needs to change. <laughs> yeah. And 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 they, I remember reading a story. I was like 13 or something like that. And I read a story that they said they've sold their training ground to the city. What? And then they go and bankroll just the Galactico era. Yeah. And you, you got, I mean, if you're Juan Laporta and you're going, all right, we did this the last time with an inspirational coach, a generational talent of a coach, and a generational talent, like generation of players coming through. Mm. We don't have that in front of us this season. No. I'm, I'm selling assets and we're going full Galactico. So I think Juan Laporta is just. <laughs> He's just gone full Florentino Perez at this point. Yeah, it's I, I I am very much of the belief that Barcelona, as the entity they are now, will not be there in five years because of all these levers that he is just pulling like some sort of evil genius. But again, that it's so much to unravel in that club that you just you just watch, have your popcorn, and enjoy it. Uh, I think it's a long movie, like you said. I think it's a five-year film that we just kind of mm. have to wait and see because if they're outstanding this season and they win the champions league and then they just sell off all the players they really don't want, they actually could be in a pretty decent position for the future, especially if they start buying back the assets mm. that they sold, which they said they might be able to do. So mm. like the big plan here does have an out strategy. The question is, will everything go perfectly? And then Barcelona's Barcelona. It's I, I've said this about the big six clubs in England. They're the only ones that, that aren't at risk of relegation. Mm -hmm. Chelsea's Chelsea's insane, horrible season under Mourinho. Even even how bad they were, they were never going to get relegated. No. Now every team outside of the top six, one bad season, one toxic dressing room, game and, over, and, and you and you can end up relegated. But mm -hmm. Barcelona are a team. I just don't think they can ever go insolvent because someone's going to want to keep them alive with enough money. I mean, they're now sponsored by Spotify, so you know yeah i mean i don't know it's the money just keeps coming from somewhere but it yeah it's been it's been an amazing amazing window for that they've <laughs> as they've a neutral it's just, in... yeah i wouldn't want to be a barcelona fan but i'm i'm glad watching it as a neutral from what i hear they're really happy they're like look at all these players yeah of course they're happy you know the the, the golden age is coming back but that you you know the golden age football has changed since then you know it's it's a whole different animal to deal with, and Real Madrid are Real Madrid. You know they they just lost Casemiro. They'll find someone replace him. Vinicius Junior is better than ninety percent of Barcelona's players. If it came down to Real Madrid Barcelona, I'm backing Real Madrid. Oh, I, th this is going to be a fantastic La Liga season as well. I can't so, wait. I'm so yeah. excited. <laughs> well. Let's do this again. Obviously, let's let's really try and do this again in a couple of weeks, Greg. I think this is this was really fun. We really, I think we, I think we did some good dissecting of all these these different things. And hopefully, anyone who's been listening and and is paying attention to the league will hopefully have a little bit of a better nuanced understanding because I think we brought some good points to the table for anyone who just needs to know a little more 
And yeah. from our Chelsea perspective, look, we're not trying to be biased. It's hard though. We're, we're just, <laughs> we just are a little bit. That's just the way it goes. It's yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's been a lot of fun, and I'm glad that I've made it through this podcast and made it sound like I know what I'm talking about. So that's I really know, good. We we did excellent. Next time we just got to get seven here, so it'll be two Sebs and a Greg. And absolutely. Um, and yeah, Greg, one more time, tell people about SGFC and the way it goes and what you guys do. Yep. So the SGFC podcast, new episodes every Tuesday, unless I'm in a different country for my girlfriend's friends' weddings. Um, but more often than not, every Tuesday, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on the usual Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Come check us out. Just come say hi. Come come give us a give us a like. Uh, give us a follow. We're always interested in what people have to have to tell us or what their views are on what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, come get involved.